So Aaron and son, though they were consecrated to serve the Lord as priests, they still needed to daily wash. I believe that once we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are saved. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Though we are clean and saved, we still walk in this world. We work in this world. We get dirty just by the contact in this world. So there is that need for daily washing. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Exodus 29 and 30. Tonight we're looking at a message that I entitled, Hear, Work, Walk, and Wash. Exodus 29 and 30. Tonight we're looking at a message that I entitled, Hear, Work, Walk, and Wash. So now we look at the daily washings in Exodus chapter 30. Again, verse 20, the key verse that I have picked for this chapter, it says, And when they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. So the ceremonial washing, something the priest had to do, and we'll read about the bronze Laver here in Exodus chapter 30. So now we're jumping back to some of the furnishings of the tabernacle. We've learned of the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and the menorah and the table of showbread and the altar, bronze altar. We've learned about the constructing of these, but we had not learned yet about the altar of incense nor the brown lever where the priest would wash. And he's also going to talk about the ransom money and the anointing oil and the incense, all these things that were identified with the tabernacle and then later on the temple of God. In chapter 30, verse 1, we pick up learning about the altar of incense in verses 1 through 10. You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. It's A cubic shall be its length and a cubit its width, and it shall be a square, and two cubics shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay its top and its sides all around and its horns with pure gold. You shall make for it a molding of gold all around. 
Two gold rings you shall make for it under the moldings on both sides. You shall place them on its two sides, and they will be holders for the poles in which to bear it. You shall make poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold, and you shall put them before the altar, put the altar before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning, and when he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. So in the evening when he tends and lights the lamps, once again he lights incense on it, and when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on a perpetual incense before the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a meal offering, or a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it through your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. And then the offering, money offering here, the atonement money or the ransom money, as some call it in verses 11 through 16. And the Lord, again, given Moses instruction. When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself. And the Lord, when you number them, that there will be no plague among you when you number them. The book of Numbers, we're going to have two senses taken when we get to the book of Numbers, at the beginning and the end of the book of Numbers. That's why they call it Numbers. They're counting the men from 20 years old in and up, those who are ready for warfare. But the Lord did not allow them to count the men, as it says in verse 12, for when you number them, that there would be no plague among them when you number them. This is something that David would do. He would count his army and God would send a plague upon his people because he was counting to see the strength of his nation. So a way that they got around the counting issue of like everybody line up, okay, one, two, counting the guys, is that they took an offering and all he had to do is count the money. And a half a shekel for every male. It didn't matter how rich you were or how poor you were. This was an annual offering given to the Lord. Half a shekel for every male in the camp from 20 years old and above. And so by counting the amount of the offering, they knew the number of men. And so it was kind of a way around. They would still know their strength, but they didn't physically count the men as David would do later on through his commander of his army, Joab, and God's wrath would incur upon the children of Israel at that time. So God stipulated this annual offering to be given, a half a shekel from every male, 20 years old and above, rich or poor, of every man. The amount was the same. And initially it was used, a portion of it, to make the tabernacle. In Exodus 38, it tells us that in verses 26 through 28, for everyone included in the numbering from 20 years old and above for 603,000 
550 men. And so we have the number. And from that, in verse 27, they made the silver sockets for the sanctuary, the base of the veil. Uh, one talent, they made each socket. And then from 1,775 shekels, they made the hooks of the pillars and overlaid the capitals and made their bands for them. So they would initially, this initial offering was actually used, the silver used in the three metals that were found in the building of the tabernacle, gold, silver, and bronze. The silver came from this atonement offering that was offered here, the first offering for the building of the tabernacle. Afterwards, the annual offerings to provide for the operation of the temple and its upkeep, the tabernacle and its upkeep. There in Second Samuel 24, David was sinned, as I said before the Lord, by having his people numbered. He was looking at his strength. And this temple tax would go all the way to the time of Christ. They were still collecting it. In the time of Christ, we read about it in Matthew 17, 24 through 27, when they came to Capernaum. Those who received the temple tax came to Peter and says, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And Peter said, Yes, of course. And then Peter went to Jesus and said, Jesus, do you pay the temple tax? He didn't want to be embarrassed. And Jesus responded to him, Matthew 17, 25. What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? And Peter said, verse 26, from strangers. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. And verse 27, nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find the piece of money and take that and give it to them for me and you. Thank you, Jesus. What a unique way of paying taxes. Go fishing, fisherman. So it was a half a shekel and no doubt it caught a shekel. And that became the temple tax. The Believer Bible Commentary explained this way about this exemption of Jesus in the temple tax. Jesus, the Son of God, to pay tribute for the support of the temple would be equivalent to paying tribute to himself. The Son's being free then reminds us of that statement from John eight thirty six: If the Son of Man sets you free, then you are free indeed. But they were required this annual tax, this annual ransom money for every male 20 years and above. So the bronze levir, and the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 17 through 19, you shall say, make a levir of bronze and its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. And you shall put water in it for Aaron and his sons and shall wash their hands and feet from the water. So it was placed between the altar. The altar was in the court of the tabernacle. And in the court of the tabernacle, you would first come to the altar of sacrifice, the bronze altar. And then between the altar and the tabernacle proper was this levir that they would wash, this wash basin. In the Bible, bronze is connected to judgment. 
That's why they are outside of the tabernacle. These have to do with the sin offerings and their washing as they would have these ceremonial washings of their hands and feet as they serve before the Lord. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, verses 20 and 21, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. They shall wash their hands, their feet, lest they die. It shall be a statue for them forever to him and his descendants throughout his generations. So Aaron and son, though they were consecrated to serve the Lord as priests, they still needed to daily wash. I believe that once we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are saved. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. As 1 Corinthians 9.11 reminds us, but such were some of you, talking about all the things we used to might have been in times past, some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You are clean. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Though we are clean and saved, we still walk in this world. We work in this world. We get dirty just by the contact in this world. So there is that need for daily washing. In Ephesians 5.26, it says that he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of the water by the word. The washing of the water by the word. So that daily washing, getting into the word of God, cleansing. I even prayed uh, as I came to church this evening before we did worship, before I came to the pulpit, I just asked the Lord to wash me by the water of your word. As I'm teaching to wash us by the water of God's word, we need that daily cleansing. The priests had to daily wash as they served the Lord. So the holy anointing oil, verses 22 through 33. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall take for yourself Quantity spice of 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half of which is sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, a hen of olive oil, and you shall make from these the holy anointing oil with ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be holy to the Lord." With it, you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and its utensils, the lampstands, its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and its utensils, the laver and its base. And you shall sanctify them that they shall be most holy. Whoever touches them must be holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his son, sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel that this is be a holy anointing oil to me throughout all your generations. It shall not be poured out on man's flesh, nor shall it make any other like it according to the composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any of it like it, whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from the people. We'll read about shall be cut off, put out. Uh, that always means that they should be put to death. This is... This is God's anointing oil, and it was to be used by God. And those who would make this 
would have a sacred trust that was actually passed down from family to family within that family to make this anointing oil. You wouldn't find it on eBay for sale. Get your holy anointing oil, you know, like we buy anointing oil today, but it is not made of this compound. So this was special. No one else was to use it. It was only to be used there in the temple to anoint the implements of the temple, the tabernacle itself, the furnishings of the temple, and the priest. It was to be poured on the priest, as we learn in Leviticus 8.12, pour some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anoint him to consecrate him. It was not to be used in any other means other than there in the temple service. There's something about oil, being anointed with oil. It was put on his clothing, uh, the priest on his head. You could wash it out of your hair eventually and roll down your beard. You'd wash it out of the beard. It would get on your clothes and it would stain the clothes. It would remind them that they had been marked with the oil. Now, in the Bible, oil speaks about often the work of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit in our lives. And once we are sealed, once we are anointed with the Holy Spirit, we should bear the mark of Christ upon our lives from that day forward. With his anointing, there's that unity to bind us as one, to be bound by the Spirit, and the Spirit of peace. According to Ephesians 4, verse 3, it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So we find that oil throughout Scripture significant with the Holy Spirit itself. And so we can have physical anointing, but it's always symbolic of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But this oil was special only for the tabernacle. As, as we close out in the holy incense, Verses 34 through 38. And they were to have this mixture for the incense that the priest would burn on the altar of incense. And it was a special mixture that was only to be used, once again, like the anointing oil, this incense that was compounded together, as it says in verse 35, by the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. It was only to be used in the tabernacle for the burning of incense in the tabernacle. So Aaron couldn't bring any home to burn in the house, in his tent. It wouldn't be allowed. You couldn't make it and sell it to others. It was only to be in the temple. And again, we connect the incense with the prayers of the saints. Revelation 5.8, it says, The four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now these prayers are coming before the throne of God. And, you know, in Revelation, we might think, what prayers? May I suggest to you uh, the prayers of justice? They're going through the tribulation. The prayers of the saints are saying, how long, Lord, when will you come? And have you ever prayed those how long, Lord, prayers to the Lord? Maybe prayers for justice. Maybe prayers of thy kingdom come, your will be done. Or maybe that prayer that closes out the book of Revelation where we are to pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly Lord Jesus, come. 
Or the prayers of the martyrs in Revelation 6.10. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Such prayers are being stored up before the altar of God as incense rising up before the Lord. And one day, God will answer all these prayers. Also, we find that there at the altar of God, there at the true tabernacle of God, we have Christ making intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Aaron and his sons, they were to wash their hands, their feet in water from the bronze levere before the throne. When they would go to the tabernacle of meeting, when they would come near to minister before the Lord, they were to wash lest they die. Chapter 30 teaches that the priests had to first wash their hands and feet before they could rightly minister before the Lord. It reminds us that in their work and walk in this world, just like all of us, we get dirty. And we need to have that daily washing. Jesus told Peter when he was washing his disciples' feet there in John thirteen ten, He told Peter, he who is bathed only needs to wash his feet. Peter protested when the Lord came to him and said, let me wash your feet. And he said, no, no way. You're not going to wash my feet. Wash all of me, but not my feet. That's the role of the lowest servant in the house. And on that occasion, it was the role of Jesus to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus explained, those who are clean have already bathed. They're already clean. They just need to have their feet washed. It reminds us, those who are saved, we're saved. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, but there is that daily washing that's necessary. And if we come to Christ, that we might be washed and made whole. Let's go ahead and stand together. Here on Wednesday evenings, we've been going through the ABCs of salvation for well over a year now. The A stands for admit. Admit to God that you are a sinner and ask for his forgiveness. Romans 3.23 tells us, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And 1 John 1, 1.9 reminds us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to admit to God that we are sinners. And for those of us who have already done this in times past, we know that we are redeemed. We know that we are saved. Perhaps it's more so on a daily basis asking God, wash me by the water of your word. We also, the B, need to believe. Believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, his ascension back to the Father. Receive that gift of salvation. Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love through the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. We need to believe in that work. And C is for confessing, confessing our faith in Jesus Christ, not only to God, but sharing that faith with others. 
And the Bible tells us in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I hope for the church that's here with us in the building tonight that we have accomplished these things, admitting, believing, confessing. But perhaps somebody hearing on the radio tonight, somebody uh, watching through social media, and the videos at a later time, whenever you hear this message, if you have questions, please email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. What a blessing it's been to be with you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this night, a time to look into your word, to worship in song. Our needs are great. We need you, Lord, to send revival. Our country is in a mess. And most of the country, they don't even know it. They're blind to the truth. So, Father, open our hearts that we might see. Cleanse your church the daily washing of your word. Help us, Lord, to hear from you. Help us, Lord, to do your work with our hands. Help us, Lord, to walk in your ways. Help us, Lord, to wash daily by your word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.